Welcome to the Prophecy Club. We're going to switch gears a little bit today. We're going to talk about conspiracies. Yes. Our offer today is going to be three DVDs. And, of course, as you know, we normally offer them for $30 each. However, all three of these very popular DVDs we're going to make available to you today for a gift of just $35, three of them. Now, yes, you can watch them for $20 a month at WatchProphecyClub.com, which in my opinion I think is a better deal, but it is still important that you get the DVDs, the actual discs, because we all know that there's going to be a day that the Internet is not going to be available. Just like they can control it at YouTube and other things, it's going to be controlled. Rest assured, by the time the Mark of the Beast comes out, it will be controlled. Okay, so anyway, here's what we're going to do. We're going to offer all three of these, but... What I'm going to do is play the audio, one of the most popular DVDs we have called Planned Population Reduction. It's the theory, and I just happen to agree with it, that there's people in high places that actually want to kill you, <laughs> a lot of people. So the three DVDs are The Medical Conspiracy, Bill Sneblin. He explains how the church was originally in charge of health and healing. He reveals the Federal Drug Administration drug companies, medical schools, how they collude together to actually control and destroy your health. Bill has been studying herbs for 30 years. He's a certified natural health professional and doctor of naturopathy. That's natural healing. He teaches how to use herbs and strengthen your immune system. Then Dr. Leonard Horwitz, an expert in health and vaccination risk awareness, delivers a shocking analysis of the science, economics, underlying threats of bioterrorism and forced vaccinations. He says the mark of the beast is actually going to be related to vaccines, medical biochips, politicians, and institutions advancing these population-controlling ploys in anthrax, smallpox, vaccinations. But today, we're going to be listening to The Planned Population Reduction by Dr. Stan Monteith, expert on conspiracy for 40 years, author of two books. He used to host, before he went home to be with the Lord, a five-hour radio talk show. Good guy. Topics are Vioxx, artificial fertilizers, pesticides, injections, immunizations, vaccinations, genetically altered seeds, cell phones, soy products, diet drinks, mercury preservatives, MSG, aspartame, and the list goes on. Yes, a lot of them are designed to take you out. Why? Because if Satan can take you out before you receive Jesus, that's to his credit. So let's go listen to Dr. Stan Monteith in Planned Population Reduction. And now your host for the Prophecy Club, Stan Johnson. Welcome to the Prophecy Club, where we provide information and resources with a prophetic warning message to win souls to Jesus and to call people to repentance. All right, your topic for today is the planned population reduction. Could it be, ladies and gentlemen, that there is an evil group of people who actually intend on reducing the population? Could it be that they actually see that that's helping mankind by killing off thousands, perhaps even millions of people? Could it be that they are in positions of power to be able to actually pull it off? Could it be that it's already been in place for a number of years and getting worse? Well, let's find out about it. Your speaker does a radio program for five hours a day, and he has done so for the last ten years. He also led a delegation to uh, the California Medical Association, and he also led another California battle, both to stop AIDS, 
the AIDS epidemic, trying to say that it's uh, actually a medical disease. It is not just simply a social problem. He also was a doctor of orthopedic, orthopedic surgery. Will you help me welcome Dr. Stan Monteith? Well, it's good to be with you here. I want to tell you a story. It was written about 2,350 years ago, about 350-some years before Christ was born in Bethlehem. It was written by a Greek philosopher, and it was an allegory. It was the story of a group of men and women who'd been taken captive and been taken into a gigantic cavern where they were kept for many years, and they were kept in chains so that their faces were towards the wall of the cave, and in the center of the cave they're burned in eternal fire. The people were fixed so that all they could do was look at the wall of the cave and the shadows that were projected on the wall of the cave from the eternal fire. Now, at times, their captors, to amuse themselves, would project shadows on the wall of the cave. They might take the bust of a man or the face of a man, and uh, a statue, and project it on the wall of the cave, and that would be the people's reality. At times, there were humorous figures. At times, there were frightening shadows. And all that they knew... For the many years that they remained in the cavern are simply those dancing shadows projected upon the wall of the cave, and that became their reality. And then one day, one of their members broke loose from his chains, and and he went outside and he saw truth. He saw the sun and the stars, the trees, and he came back into the cavern and, and broke his fellow captives free from their chains. And as they left the cavern, though, they approached, and the light blinded their eyes, and they turned back, because you see, for... So long their reality had simply been dancing shadows projected upon the wall of the cave. And the question arises, uh, uh, could we be victims of something similar to what Plato wrote about? The, the story I've told you comes from Plato's Republic, and it's known as the parable of the cave. And I would like to suggest that perhaps, in many respects, we are victims of the same sort of situation. Uh, we really don't understand what is truly going on in the world today. It was 76 years ago when a man named Edward Bernay, and Edward Bernay was Sigmund Freud's nephew, and he was the master propagandist. And he wrote a book. It is still available. Uh, it's called Propaganda. And he opens with these words, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. I'm going to repeat that again because it's the very essence of what I hope to teach you today. The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism constitute an invisible government which is the true ruling power in our country. We are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested largely by men we have never heard of. Could that be true? Well, Edward Bernay played an important part in creating the world we live in today. During the First World War, he was organized by something known as the U.S. Committee on Public Information that was able to convince the American people that we should go to war. 
And you remember all those wonderful slogans we had during the First World War? A war to make the world safe for democracy. What does that remind you of today? Uh, The war to end all wars. Wouldn't it be wonderful, perhaps even to give your life fighting the war to end all wars? And because a small group of people control the media in those days, and those of you uh, who have never seen our, our video, The Secrets of the Illuminati, ought to get that because we go into the background of the degree of control that existed at that time, and they have that video in the back. Uh, we know that J.P. Morgan and his associates really bought up the, the majority of the major outlets, media outlets in America, to convince the American people we had to go to war. And the man who coordinated this whole movement was Edward Bernay. After the war, uh, First World War, uh, why, of course, uh, he was hired by the American Tobacco Company. Now, when I went to medical school in the late 1940s, cancer of the lung in women was very uncommon. Cancer of the lung in men was common because, of course, men smoked, but women did not smoke. And Edward Bernay was hired by the American Tobacco Company and Lucky Strike convinced women they should smoke. They came up with all sorts of wonderful, wonderful little gimmicks. One of them was a reach for a smoke instead of a sweet. Isn't that sort of a, something you can remember? And Well, they, they succeeded. They were able to use the media to convince women they should smoke. And Edward Bernays success, succeeded wonderfully. Today, among women, the second most common cancer is cancer of the lung. And hundreds of thousands of women, if not millions of women, have or will die because of the success of Edward Bernays, who told us, we are governed, our minds are molded, our tastes suggested, our our ideas formed largely by men we have never heard of. In 1950, the U.S. Public Health Service hired Edward Bernays to sell the American people on water fluoridation, the the promise of, uh, of a perfect smile for children throughout all eternity. And what they were able to do was to turn an industrial poison into a panacea. And we'll talk more about water fluoridation later in this program. But it was a wonderful idea, and they were able to convince the doctors and the dentists and the American people that water fluoridation was the panacea that was going to lead us all to perfect teeth throughout our entire lives. He was hired by the United Fruit Company and the CIA to convince the American people that the Guatemalan Revolution was, was the most normal thing in the world. He worked for General Electric. He worked for Procter & Gamble. And he molded the ideas of the American people throughout the 90 years that he was here. Now, we were told that the American people are among the healthiest in the world. And we are certainly living longer than we did in, in past generations. But Today, there's an increase in allergies among our people. There's an increase in Alzheimer's disease. Uh, there's an increase in antibiotic resistance. Uh, there's an increase in asthma and autism. One in every six children in America has either a neurodevelopmental abnormality or uh, a behavioral abnormality. At one time, the incidence of autism was a one in 10,000. Now it's about one in 166 American children. Why, why is that happening? We find an increasing number of autoimmune diseases of all different sorts. There's an increase in cancer and in diabetes and in heart disease and in neurodegenerative diseases and Parkinson's disease. There's an increased obesity. And you've heard about the obesity epidemic. And how often do you watch television? They tell you about the obesity epidemic and what you need is more in the way of exercise. That's going to solve your problem. And then there are the deadly new diseases like AIDS and and like chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia, these didn't exist when I went to medical school. There's a decreased fertility among our, our men. In fact, the, the sperm count 
in American men has fallen to about half of what it was a generation ago. And then we see Ebola and, and Lyme disease, and, and, and we see SARS and, and NIFA, which is a, another epidemic. And now we find about the avian flu epidemic that is threatening to annihilate us and night after night, week after week, on television, in the newspapers, on, on radio. We see articles about the avian flu pandemic, which it's not may occur, but it's going to occur. It's only a matter of time. And you know that 55 people have died in the last two and a half to three years of this disease is going to annihilate us all. And, and 55, I think the last count was 58 people have died. Did you ever have a thought in your mind that perhaps your minds were being molded, your, your tastes suggested, your ideas formed by people you really didn't know? Well, San Jose Mercury News reported on the 5th of October of last year, page A1, the title of the article was Immigrant Youth's Health Deteriorates in U.S. Study Finds, and this is what it says. It's talking about foreign children coming to the United States. When they arrive, children of immigrants have lower rates of asthma and obesity than American-born children. Children born to immigrant mothers are also less likely to have low birth weights or die as an infant than children born to native-born mothers. When they arrive, children of immigrants have lower rates of asthma and obesity than American-born children, and children born to immigrant mothers also are less likely to have low birth weights or die as an infant than children born to native-born mothers. Why would that be? Aren't we supposed to be healthier than these people from underdeveloped countries that don't have all the advantages that we have here? Or is it perhaps that we don't really see what's going on. U.S. high school graduates, when they are finished their high school and they are tested competitively with the high school graduates of other countries, are among the lowest in mathematics and in, uh, you know, in so many of their, the things that are tested for. I mean, we're down with Latvia and, and uh, Lithuania and Estonia. Why, why is it that with all the money we spend on education, we're doing such a poor job? I don't know how many of you watch Jay Leno. Uh, he is vulgar and crude, but he, he does have some interesting, um, interesting programs where he interviews people on the street. I mean, many of them don't even know who's buried in Grant's tomb. I mean, it is the most incredible thing as you, as you see this whole story unfolding. In fact, uh, he, he told a story the other evening. He said there was recently a, a, a poll in Mexico, uh, and they, they, Polled the uh, the Mexicans, and and six and sixty percent of them said they wanted to come to the United States, and the other forty percent are already here. <laughs> but be that as it may, Ellie Weissel was taken from his home when he was eighteen years old and sent to a Nazi concentration camp. Uh, he survived that period of time by t- taking his fellow countrymen, uh, you know, uh, uh, taking the gold out of their teeth and all the things that they did after they'd been killed. But he wrote this in a book called One Generation After, 1970. Spring 1945, emerging from the nightmare, the world discovers the camps, the death factories, the senseless horror, the debasement, the absolute reign of evil. Victory tastes as ashes. There was then a technique, a science of murder, complete with specialized laboratories, business meetings, and progress charts. Those engaged in its practice did not belong to a gutter society of misfits, nor could they be dismissed as just a collection of rabble. Many held degrees in philosophy, sociology, biology, general medicine, psychiatry, and the fine arts. There were lawyers among them, and unthinkable but true, theologians and aristocrats. 
Now, why would intelligent, educated people participate in something like the Holocaust? Uh, with these idea of specialized laboratories and business meetings and progress charts? Could such a thing happen today? Could it really be that there are people who are, are, are charting a mass genocide throughout the world today? Let me, let me suggest to you that the U.S. Census Bureau uh, is charting the, the progress of the AIDS epidemic throughout the world. I'm on all the mailing lists, and I get regularly about every year from the U.S. Census Bureau. The latest figures on what a great job is being done in controlling the AIDS epidemic throughout the world or monitoring a genocidal epidemic, which is designed to kill blacks and non-whites throughout the world today. Well, you have to understand Nazism to understand what's really going on in the world today. Rudolf Hess said it best. He said, Nazism is nothing but applied biology. National socialism is nothing more than applied biology. Because you see, if you don't believe there's a God, why shouldn't mankind simply try to make a better world? Of course, you're going to have to get rid of certain people. So in the process of that, the Nazis sterilized some 700,000 mentally handicapped people. They killed 100,000 disabled people. They killed off, of course, the gypsies. They exterminated 6 million Jews. And they murdered about 12 million others, most of whom were Christians. Because at that time, of course, Europe was predominantly Christian. Europe is no longer Christian. Because, of course, the people there had believed their ministers who told them that they would be whisked away in a cloud in the rapture before anything bad happened. And, of course, it really wasn't true. It was a lie. And it really has turned the people of Germany against religion. And you can go, if you want to meditate, you can go to the churches in England today because there's nobody there to interrupt you. And in southern France, there are far more mosques than there are Christian churches. Well, if, the, if these things are really taking place, then somebody has to be controlling what the American people think. So the question is, who controls the media? Well, there's a wonderful book. It's called The New Media Monopoly. It's written by a man named Ben Bagdakian. He was, uh, he's a left-wing professor from the University of California in Berkeley, where I graduated many years ago. And Ben Bagdakian began studying the control of the media back in 1983, where there were 50 corporations that dominated the American media. In the last edition of his book, published in 2004, called The New Media Monopoly, he points out that five megacorporations dominate our media. Bertelsmann, Disney, Fox, Viacom, and Time Warner. And several of those are not even known by people who are primarily American. But little has changed. John Swinton lived from 1830 until 1901. He was the editorial page editor of the New York Times from 1860 to 1870. He was the editorial page writer and chief of staff of the New York Sun. After that, and in 1883, he gave a talk before something known as the Twilight Club in New York City, and that was on April 12, 1883. And we have the original source if you want to check these quotations so to be sure they're right, because I hope you will challenge everything we say. I hope you can prove me wrong. This is what he wrote, or this is what he said, and this is what is recorded in a, in a book that came out in 1960, published by St. Martin's Press. In 1883, he said this, There is no such thing in America as an independent press, unless it is in the country towns. You know it, and I know it. There is not one of you who dares to write his honest opinions, and if you did, you know beforehand they would never appear in print. I am paid $150 a week for keeping my honest opinions out of the paper. I am connected with others of you are paid similar salaries for doing similar things. If I should permit 
honest opinions to be printed in one issue of my paper, like Othello, before 24 hours, my occupation would be gone. That comes from great quotations by George Seldes, Caesar Stewart, and that's Lynn Stewart of New York. That's today, that's St. Martin's Press. Now, 110 years later, Richard Harwood, who had been the editorial page editor of the Washington Post, and of course he had retired in 1883, so uh, he's writing now in October of 1993, 110 years after uh, Swinton had, had, uh, had actually written his story. And Richard Harwood was writing about the control of the American government and the American media by the Council on Foreign Relations. And this is what he wrote. Speaking of the Council on Foreign Relations, the president is a member, so is his secretary of state, the deputy secretary of state, all five of the undersecretaries, several of the assistant secretaries, and the department's legal advisor. The president's national security advisor and his deputy are members, the director of the Central Intelligence Agency, like all previous directors, and the chairman of the Foreign Intelligence Advisory Board are members. The Secretary of Defense, three undersecretaries, and at least four assistant secretaries are members. The secretaries of the Departments of Housing and Urban Development, Interior, Health and Human Services, and the Chief White House Public Relations Man, David Gerken, are also members along with the Speaker of the House and the Majority Leader of the Senate. In the past 15 years, council directors have included Hedley Donovan of Time Incorporated, Elizabeth Drew of The New Yorker, Philip Galen of Washington Post, Karen Elliott, House of the Wall Street Journal, and Strobe Talbot of Time Magazine. The editorial page editor, the deputy editorial page editor, the executive editor, the managing editor, the foreign editor, the national affairs editor, the business and financial editor, and various writers as as well as Catherine Graham, the paper's principal owner, represent the Washington Post in the council's membership. And we've given you the reference to that, and if any of you want to get a copy of an article, we have it. Needless to say, it was not put on the front page of the Washington Post. I'm surprised it was even published there, but it was back on page um, uh, 21 where most people would never see it. You see, we really don't have uh, a two-party system. We have a one-party system because the people who control the Republican Party come from the CFR. The people who control the Democratic Party control come from the CFR. And if you watch my video, which we have in the back there, The Secrets of the Illuminati, why you'll find out that these people control both political parties and they are a front for another secret group that is dedicated to a one-world government and a new world religion. Now, President Wilson was also well aware of this. He wrote a book in 1913 titled The New Freedom. This is Woodrow Wilson, and this is what he wrote. Since I entered politics, I have chiefly had men's views confided in me privately. Some of the biggest men in the United States in commerce and manufacture are afraid of somebody. They are afraid of something. They know there is a power somewhere so organized, so subtle, so organized, so subtle, so watchful, so interlocked, so complete, so pervasive, that they'd better not speak above their breath when they speak in condemnation of it. Now, we have the book, and uh, you know, uh, I think this is such an important quotation, because Woodrow Wilson recognized this force. He did not realized that he himself was controlled by the force as he was writing these words. Because, you see, these people always have their people surrounding the people who control our government. Just as George Bush today is controlled by other people, like Karl Rove and Dick Cheney, who comes from the Council on Foreign Relations, so it was that Woodrow Wilson was controlled by a man named 
Edward Mandel House, Colonel House. In fact, President Roosevelt, and when I went through Colonel House's papers at the Sterling Library at Yale back in 1980, I came across this letter, and we have copies of it, if any of you would like to see them, writing to Colonel House, who also controlled uh, President Roosevelt. He controlled Woodrow Wilson. He controlled Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And uh, Roosevelt was writing to Colonel House on November 21st, 1933, and this is what he wrote. The real truth of the matter is, as you and I know, that a financial element in the larger centers has owned the government ever since the days of Andrew Jackson. You see, President Roosevelt really didn't understand what this was all about any more than Woodrow Wilson understood what it was about, but they knew that there was a force there, a force somewhere, someplace so powerful, so complete, so pervasive, so watchful that most people were afraid to even mention it speak of it above their breath when they spoke in condemnation of it. President Nixon, after he was forced out of the White House, wrote a book called The Real War. And you'll find on page 238 of that book, published in 1980, this statement. The the nation's immediate problem is that while the common man fights America's wars, the intellectual elite sets its agenda. Today, whether the West lives or dies is in the hands of the new power elite. Those who set the terms of public debate, who manipulate the symbols, who decide whether the nation or leaders will be depicted on a hundred million television sets as good or bad. This power elite sets the limits of the possible for the president and Congress. It molds the impression that moved the nation or that mire it. Sort of sound like Edward Bernay, doesn't it? Writing back in, in, in 1929. And, and President Roosevelt recognized this. And certainly President Nixon recognized it, but none of them really understood what I'm going to tell you today. Are we being told the truth? Does the media control our reality? Do we believe what we see, those dancing shadows on the wall of the cave? Or is there another reality that uh, that we are totally unaware of? Well, most people believe that the United States went into World War II because Adolf Hitler was an evil man, and he wanted to rule the world. Well, there's no question that Adolf Hitler was a, an evil man, but did you ever wonder how it was that Adolf Hitler could come to power in 1933? And by 1938, he was challenging the entire world at that time. I mean, how, where did he get his gasoline? Germany doesn't have any gasoline. Where did he get uh, the rubber? They didn't have any rubber. Where did they get the material to build up their military? Where did they get the finances to build up the military? They were a bankrupt nation when he came to power. Well, there are a number of books that cover this. You're not going to find them in your local library. Charles Higgum, Higgum, Trading with the Enemy, 1932 to 1949. Did you realize that all during the Second World War... I'm going to break in right there, but I encourage you to get the medical conspiracy, anthrax, smallpox, and vaccinations... Planned Population Reduction, three DVDs, $30 each normally. It's normally $90. Today, get all three of them for a gift of $35. Besides that, it goes to Prophecy Club. Help us continue to bring this to you. But, of course, the best deal is go to WatchProphecyClub.com. WatchProphecyClub.com. You can watch all of them for 20 bucks a month. What a deal. WatchProphecyClub.com. That is The Medical Conspiracy by Bill Snevelin, Anthrax, Smallpox, Vaccinations by Dr. Lynn Horowitz, and by Dr. Stan Monteith, you've just been listening to The Planned Population Reduction. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your prayers. And yes, it is summertime. Thank you for your gifts of support. God bless.
Now from the Prophecy Club, some exciting opportunities for you. The Extreme Summer Blowout is now in effect. You can get 50 DVDs for $250, that's $5 each. 25 for 160, that's 640 each. 15 for 120, that's 8 bucks each. 10 for 100, obviously $10 each. 6 for 70, 4 for 50, and 2 for $30. You can go to prophecyclub.com. There's a list of all the DVDs there, or you can call us and ask for the summer catalog. Or download the catalog at prophecyclub.com. Flip through it, then decide which DVDs you want. That's 785-266-1112, and it expires soon. Call 785-266-1112 today. Some restrictions apply. Dr. Bree Keaton just made a brand new DVD. It's called Is Trump or Patrick Henry? Now, it's not a political talk. Bree's mother was a descendant of the patriot Patrick Henry. She reveals shocking, never-released private family records, bloodlines, and gives you the true story of how God used Patrick Henry to save America. She helped me to see more clearly where we are and where we're going because most of history has already repeated itself. I promise you will like this DVD. It is Trump by Patrick Henry, prophecyclub.com.